Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Hebrews chapter 8, if you need a Bible, there should be one in the seat back pocket in front of you if you didn't bring a Bible along with you. I would like to say how thankful I am for your continued support as you honor the Lord with your tithes and offering. We were able to sponsor close to 300 kids this past Sunday, and my prayer is that as some of you have been praying through the week, that you might even consider tonight taking a child, sponsoring a child. However, I want to say, I've watched this church respond like Abraham. When Abraham was blessed by God, he spontaneously erupted with a tithe until Melchizedek as unto the Lord. And I want to say how grateful I am for each one of you. Because as we talked last week of how we were going to take L.A. and reach the world, I know we're able to move forward because of your faithfulness to give, and your faithfulness to go. So God bless you guys. Um, Glory, all glory to the Lord. Amen? Amen. Hebrews chapter 8, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, I'm just so thankful for your word, and I pray that you would give us the grace that we need in order to learn this word. For Lord, chapters 7, 8, 9, and 10 Four chapters dedicated to this topic, Melchizedek. I pray, Lord, that you would use this time because it was that sincere in your heart that we would understand this truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There is an obvious point, the writer of Hebrews is purposing to get across to the first century Jews. Here it is. Jesus is better than anything you could ever turn to. He's made the point that Jesus is better than angels, better than Moses, better than Joshua, even better than Abraham. Now, the writer wants them to know that Jesus is better than even the high priest. In fact, we've learned in Hebrews chapter 4, he's our great high priest. Now here's what that means. If you've drifted, if you've departed, you can return to Jesus because he's our great high priest. Now this would be truly refreshing for those in the first century world under the priesthood of their time. Because the priesthood of their time was all about power, all about prestige, all about prominence, no longer descended from the line of Aaron. No, this position of the high priest was sold to the highest bidder from the Roman government. In fact, one year, Herod the Great appointed six high priests to gain more money into the treasury. But God, But God would be faithful to fulfill his promise found in Psalm 110, verse 4, and he would replace this priesthood. You know the scripture, speaking of the great high priest in Psalm 110, 4, you're a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. What did this mean? Only three verses in the book of Genesis. Only one verse about Melchizedek in the book of Psalms. Four verses in total in the entire Old Testament, but yet four chapters in the book of Hebrews. You see, not only was God going to replace this priesthood due to the corruption in the line that was going on in the first century priesthood world, But there was an inherent problem also found in the heart of every man, even in the heart of the high priest. And as our great high priest, Jesus alone was able to solve that problem. 
Now, in order for us to understand chapter 7, 8, and 9, I want to give you the table of contents. So would you look at Hebrews chapter 8? I'm actually going to read verse 6. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. And you might want to underline this, point, this verse in your Bible and do an arrow that goes up like this and an arrow that goes down like this because this is the pinnacle of these three chapters. It as well is the table of contents of the conversation that the writer is communicating. Look at Hebrews 8, verse 6. But now, speaking of Jesus... He's obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also a mediator of a better covenant which is established on better promises. There are two topics found in chapters 7, 8, and 9. Two chapters, excuse me, two topics about our great high priest. The first is he has a more excellent ministry. Jesus Our great high priest has a more excellent ministry than the line of Aaron and its priesthood. He has a more excellent ministry. And we're going to discover, if you're taking note, in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11, all the way to chapter 8, verse 5, this excellent ministry that Jesus has. We're going to discover that. But secondly, in chapter 7, 8, and 9, he deals with the topic that Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant with better promises. He's the mediator of a better covenant with better promises. The entire three chapters revolve around these two topics. And in Hebrews chapter 8, 7, through chapter 9, Verse 15 will deal with the second topic. Now, if you didn't catch that, the first topic we're going to deal with is chapter 7, verse 11, all the way to chapter 8, verse 5. But the second topic will go from chapters 8, verse 7, all the way to chapters 9 through 15, verse 15. You see, there was a great theological debate about this topic that needed to be solved. How can Jesus be our great high priest when he didn't come from the line of Aaron. Now, the question begs hypocrisy as the priest of the day was bought and sold. This was just a theological debate to have a theological debate. This was just a way for someone to come up with an excuse as to why they weren't coming to Jesus. You deal with this every single day when you minister the gospel of Jesus Christ and someone comes up with some theological question that nobody could possibly answer. It's because they don't want Jesus, period. So they've come up with something so that it can confound you and everyone around you. So you know what I do? I don't know the answer to that. But I have a question for you. If you were to die today, would you go to heaven or hell? Well, what do you mean? Well, you asked me a theological question, so I'm going to ask you a theological question. If you were to die today, huge theology, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? Well, I don't believe in hell. Well, who told you that? The liar, the devil, told you there was no, no, no hell? You see, people want to confound a truth because they don't want to believe in truth. But what the writer does is he answers the question in full. And let me tell you why. Because the word of God contains everything that we need for life and godliness. And we need to study the Word of God, even topics that we don't understand, so that we can have an answer when we're asked those questions. So if you don't know the answer, you need to dig into the Word of God to find the answer, file it away in the Rolodex. And for those of you who are too young to know what a Rolodex is... File it away in the note pages of your iPhone so that you can recall it when it's time for you to be able to give an answer in due season. So let's deal with the first topic. Jesus has a more excellent ministry. 
He is a more excellent ministry than the high priest of the day. They were comparing, wait a second, Jesus is not even here. You don't even have anyone to go to. I mean, how is Jesus a better high priest than the one that we have there at this magnificent temple? And what the writer does, starting in chapter 7, verse 11, is he gives three reasons why Jesus has a more excellent ministry. Would you take a look? Now go back with me. Hebrews chapter 7, we'll pick it up in verse 11. Dealing with the first topic, Jesus has a more excellent ministry. Let's take a look at his first of three reasons. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, in other words, if you could be right before God through the Levitical, through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. What further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. Stop there for just a moment. Maybe you'll write this down. It's the first of three reasons as to why Jesus' ministry is more excellent. Number one, the law is weak. But Jesus is powerful. The law is weak, but Jesus is powerful. And what the writer just basically told us was this. There was no way for the law to make you righteous before God. There was no way for the law to make you perfect. And God requires that you are perfect in order for you to be in heaven. With the Levitical priesthood, the law was established which showed the righteous standard of God. So the Levitical priest would determine that is lawful, that is not lawful. You need to offer a sacrifice and you don't. That was an unintentional sin. That was an intentional sin. They made the decision based on the righteous standard of God. But God, God ordained another priesthood. It's the priesthood of the order of Melchizedek. And with the change of a priesthood by God, there was a foreordained change in the rules by God. You see, it was always his plan. That's why he told David all the way back in the book of Psalms because God's plan from the beginning was that the Levitical priesthood would not be able to bring us and make us perfect before God. His plan was always that it would come from the order of Melchizedek. Take a look, Hebrews chapter 7, now verse 13. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no man has officiated the altar. For it's evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment. Now stop there if you would. I know I'm in the middle of a verse. It's okay. We can do that. Someone uh, emailed me the other day, um, Pastor Chet, um, why don't you do the, memorize the entire verse when you do our sale verse? I don't know if that's biblical. So I responded, did you know that the chapters and numbers are not inspired? Those were added later. So the fact that we even have chapters and numbers should help us understand just how to get to somewhere in the Bible. Paul, he picked out pieces of the verses all over the place in the book of Isaiah. So do you know your sailor verse is what I asked them. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, that's why I only give you a phrase. so that you Now, I have a question. Do you guys know your sailor verse? Oh my goodness, you guys, there's hundreds of people in here. Okay, I'm going to test you on Sunday. The writer's pointing something out. He's pointing out that everyone knows that Jesus is not from the tribe of Levi. He's not a Levitical priest. In fact, the Bible says in 16a, look what he says. 
He's not come according to the law of the fleshly commandment. This word fleshly, his ancestry is not from the line of Aaron. He doesn't derive from Aaron. And Aaron, it's the only tribe that Moses or the law allowed to be priests. Remember, we learned last week, God had to direct the other 11 brothers to give a tithe to Levi because Levi was selected to be the line of priests. And so Moses allowed them to be priests. That was the order that was established by the law. But God, don't you get a little upset with God when he doesn't do things the way that you think he should? Hello. Don't you get a little concerned when God steps out of your box? Don't you get a little frustrated sometimes with the Lord when he's not linear and goes from point to point to point, but like he goes from here to like the Indian Ocean and then to the Antarctica, then to Antarctica, and then to Florida? Doesn't it surprise you? that he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, but God. But God established another order in the order of Melchizedek. And the Bible says, as we studied in Hebrews chapter 5, you're a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. You see, Jesus, he was from the tribe of Judah. Now take a look at the screen we see a phrase, surprise, surprise, in a verse that gives us an understanding about the kingly nature of Jesus. Take a look, Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. The scepter, speaking to Judah, as Jacob is dying, blessing him. We remember what a blessing is. It's saying something with the power of knowing it will come to pass. So he blesses him and says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. Now let me tell you why. Reuben was a bad boy. He was number one son. Simeon and Levi, they were not great kids. Remember the story about Simeon and Levi? They convinced the whole town of Shechem to get circumcised. And then after there were three days, they went in and killed all the men in Shechem. Bad, bad boys, Simeon and Levi. The next in line was Judah. So Reuben was disqualified. Simeon and Levi were disqualified. And out of Judah would come the scepter. He would be the leader. He would be the ruler. So we learn from the blessing of Jacob that out of the line of Judah, the scepter would be given. The king would arise. The Messiah would come from the line of Judah. Then, several hundred years later, just like God, out of the box, King David would say in Psalm 110 uh, verse 4 about the Messiah. Psalm 110, a messianic psalm. He would say, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So when the Bible tells us in verse 15 that he's the likeness of Melchizedek, he's referring back to what we studied last week. Chapter 7, verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Stop there for just a minute. Jesus is in the likeness of Melchizedek. Melchizedek is the title. King of righteousness. Check for Jesus. Likeness of Melchizedek. He's the king of Shalom or Salem. He's the king of peace. Check for Jesus. He's the priest of the Most High God. We know that from David. He's from the Ord. He was going to be called the priest of God. You're a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Check for Jesus. Abraham honored him with a tithe of all of the spoils. He gave the best as we're to give the best unto Jesus. A Melchizedek came out of nowhere. His genealogy, we don't know. His mother, his father, he represents an eternality in the book of Genesis in the same way that Jesus is eternal. And no one would have ever have thought 
that out of the line of Judah, a priest would come. Now they're looking at Psalm 110 verse 4. One little verse. Have you ever been reading in your devotions and you've read John 3.16 like six million hundred thousand times? And then you read John 3.16 and all of a sudden the word perishes, like pops out. And God just speaks to you something that you needed to hear. It's the living word of God. That's what's happening to the first century Jews. They've read Psalm 110 hundreds of times about the Messiah coming. But this one little verse with just a few little words, you're a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. It's just one little verse. And in one little verse is a little small voice that communicates Jesus the King Messiah will also be a priest ordained by God. Now take a look at this ordination. Chapter six, uh, 7, verse 16. Who has come not according to the law of fleshly commandments, so he's not from the ancestry of Aaron, but according to the power of an endless life. You're a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there's an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the, for the law made... Excuse me, for the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Maybe you'll underline that. The law, if you remember what I said, there is no way for the law to make you righteous before God. Jesus provides the power to do life God's way. The law couldn't do it. The Bible says the law was weak because it only told us the righteous standard of God. It only told us what God's standard was. It didn't provide the power to obey the law. It just communicated, here's what it is. This is the way to be perfect in front of God. So God established a sacrificial system with the law because he knew the people would sin. He knew the people were not going to be able to uh, be able to keep up with this law. So he established a sacrificial system so that their sins could be atoned. So what's the purpose of a law? It's Galatians chapter 3. Let's take a look. But before faith came, so before Jesus died on the cross and resurrected, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. And here's what the writer is saying in the book of Galatians. The law told us what sin was. We wouldn't have known God's righteous standard if we did not know, thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Honor your father and your mother. Do not steal. Do not murder. Do not covet. We would not have known these things in our human nature had it not been for the law letting us know you need a savior because there's no way for you to be able to do this. So, Jesus comes on the scene. And our great high priest was tempted in all points, yet without sin. He did what we couldn't do. And the Bible is letting us know he was perfect, not just in life, but he was perfect in death. Go back with me to Hebrews chapter 5. Let's put some puzzle pieces together. Hebrews chapter 5, would you look with me at verse 8? Hebrews chapter 5, let's just remind ourselves, taking a look at verse 8. Though he was a son... Yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. In other words, he died on the cross because God the Father asked him to, and he submitted to God the Father. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Understand, Jesus died on the cross, 
by dying on the cross, he was perfected. In other words, he was God's answer for us to be saved. He's the only way for us to be saved. His death, burial, and resurrection proved him to be the son. Look what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. He says this about the moment of the resurrection. He says in Romans 1, 4, and declared to be, speaking of Jesus, the son of God, with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he declared himself, I'm the son of God. I am thus the Messiah Now he alone can fulfill Psalm 110, verse 4. A priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Let me tell you why. Because he, going back with me to Hebrews chapter 8, Hebrews chapter, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 7, go back with me to Hebrews chapter 7, take a look, if you would, one more time. He says, according to the power, verse 16, of an endless life. See, the writer of Hebrews is making a spin on words. And he's saying, according to the power of the resurrection, our great high priest, he's unlike the law. Because not only will he tell us the righteous standard, Jesus can give us the power to draw near to God. Now, drawing near to God means that we're living life God's way. Drawing near to God God, is meaning that we are being sanctified. Jesus not only told us that we need to let our light so shine, he gives us the power of the Holy Spirit to empower us for our light to shine. Just ask the people that went out on our outreach day on Saturday. They were, some of them were terrified to share the gospel. And then when they came back, I can't believe I did it. I don't think it was me. I think it was something in me. He's called the Spirit. And when we do what God asks us to do, he gives us the power to do it. Have you ever been in an argument with your wife? You ever been in an argument? Hello? (laughs) Have you ever been in an argument with your spouse? And you pray. And you pray. And you are about to lose it. (laughs) and you go, Jesus, I need your help. And all of a sudden, you don't say anything. And instead of saying something that you would regret, you actually look at your spouse and go, can we pray? And you go, okay, that was definitely not me. Something happens. Because Jesus says that we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And he says to the wife that you're to respect your husband. And he knows that we're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit to do what he's asking us to do. So he didn't just tell us to love our wives or to respect our husbands. He also gave us the Spirit to give us the power to do what he's called us to do. That is Jesus He has given us the power by the Spirit to do what we don't think we can do. And do you know that our faith, all we have to do is ask. Because he promises in your weak moments, he can be strong. So in dealing with the topic of Jesus as our great high priest, he's got a more excellent ministry. He's making it very clear that Jesus, the law is weak, but Jesus is powerful. The law had no power to implement that you followed it, but Jesus has given us the power of his spirit. But I want us to take a look at the second reason that Jesus has a more excellent ministry as our great high priest. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 20. Maybe you'll write this down, number 2. The law is temporary, but Jesus is greater. He's eternal, and that's very important. Psalm, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 7, we'll pick it up there in verse 20. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they become priests without an oath. In other words, they were just born, and when their dad died, they became the priest. But Jesus was given an oath by God to be the priest. Without an oath, but he with an oath, by him who was said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You're a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. 
By so much more, Jesus become a surety of a better covenant. Remember, I asked you to write down the second reason that Jesus has a more excellent ministry is because the law is temporary and Jesus is eternal. He's eternal because God said he would be. And there's two things that you need to know about God. His counsel don't change and he don't lie. So when he says, you are a priest forever, guess what? Jesus is a priest forever. He has sworn it, and he will not relent. That ended the theological argument with the first century Jew. God said in Psalm 110, you are a priest forever, and he doesn't change his mind. This has always been the plan that there would be another order outside the order of Aaron. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23 The law is temporary. Jesus is eternal. Look at verse 23. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's eternal because he continues forever. Forever. There is a huge problem with the high priesthood. Do you know what that huge problem was? Death. They died. The high priest would serve in his ministry, and then he would die. Their bodies were not made to last forever because they're mortal. The priesthood would then pass to the eldest son, So it would go from Aaron to his eldest son, from his eldest son to his eldest son, and it would just pass simply because you were born into the family. And when the high priest died, there'd be a lot of mourning in all of Israel, but not everywhere, because there were six cities in Israel called the cities of refuge. Do you remember those? And if you accidentally killed someone you would run to the city of refuge. And there they would try you to see if it was accidental manslaughter or did you purposely murder them. And if you accidentally killed them, and it was proven you accidentally killed them, then you could stay in the city of refuge until the high priest died. But at their death, guess what? You were free. So at the cities of refuge, wherever the high, whenever the high priest died, there was a party. Because they could get out of town. They could go back home. They could see their kids. They could be with their wife. And you were just praying, Lord, please let him die. I'd like to go home before I'm 90. Like, can you just imagine? They're just asking God, please let the high priest die. That's what the law did. It was to take us to a place where we were begging for a Savior. Where we were begging when we could realize we can't live up to this and we needed someone who would live a perfect life and would die for us. His name is Jesus. And when he died, the beautiful thing about Christ is he rose again. And now he will never die again. And let me tell you what that means. Who the Son has set free, you are free indeed. It's John chapter 8, verse 36. He lives forever. Now, the law is temporary, but Jesus is eternal. That means you get to be free forever. Hebrews chapter 7, take a look now at verse 25. Hebrews chapter 7, pick it up in verse 25. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens who does not need daily as those who, as high priests, to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once and for all, he offered up himself. 
For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness, but the word of the oath. In other words, when God said it would be Jesus who would be the priest forever, which came after the law, appoints the son who's been perfected forever. You see, you've got to stop for a moment and see the better eternal ministry of Jesus. And what he says is, he can save you to the uttermost. Let me tell you, Christian, what that means. You are eternally secure because of our great high priest, Jesus. He'll never die again. There won't be another, there won't be another change in the priesthood. You will have eternal security because our high priest is able to save you to the uttermost. He lives forever. And let me tell you what he's doing for you. He's making intercession for you. And some of you need more prayer than others. Amen? If you didn't say amen, you're probably the one he's praying for right now. Do you remember when Jesus looked at Peter and he said this? Simon. Simon. And if Jesus has to repeat your name twice, like you're in trouble. It's like when your mother has to say your first and last name, okay? Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift you. But I'm praying for you. And when you return, Strengthen your brethren. I love that Jesus knows that I'm one big bundle of mistake. And he prays for me. And I love that Jesus knows that I'm going to do things that don't honor him. And he says, I'm praying for you, Chet. And when you repent, get back to work. Aren't you so thankful that Jesus prays for you? Aren't you so thankful that he knows that you could make a mistake? And he says, just repent. Just get back into relationship with me. The beauty of his eternal eternality is that he's all-knowing. You see, we needed perfection of Jesus in order to be perfected ourselves. Because of his sinless life. Because he offered himself as the unblemished lamb of God, he now sits at the right hand of God. He's not like the earthly priests of the day. You don't go to a temple and see Jesus physically because he's up in heaven. What a great high priest. When my kids were younger, we used to play the game, I love you more than. Well, I love you, I love you more than Texas and back. Well, I love you more than African and back. So I would always end it with, I love you more than God and back. And then my kids would look at me, okay, you love me more. Because Jesus is in heaven. He's the ultimate that we have an opportunity to go to the throne room in heaven, not to Jerusalem. Like Jerusalem is like, okay, that's great. Go to heaven. Experience the throne room of grace where you can plead for mercy. And he makes a very logical point. Look at verse 8. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness. Can I remind you about Aaron and the whole golden calf thing? The high priesthood just began, and Aaron makes a golden calf. Moses comes down, and he goes, Aaron, what's going on? Moses, I have no idea. I threw some gold in the pot. The next thing I know, gold, uh, this calf came out. We're all doing like Remy Rami to this calf. I don't know what went on. I have no idea. Men are weak, but Jesus is eternal. He'll never experience death. It's not just a fact that men will die. Men are weak. But Jesus, who was appointed by God, he is perfect forever. And because of this, we are perfected forever because of the blood of Jesus Christ, his priesthood. 
is a great high priest. But the third reason he gives why Jesus' ministry is so much greater than the, other, than the high priest. Take a look, if you would. We're going to dig into now Hebrews chapter 8. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have, such high, we have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. For... Uh, understand what's happening here. This is the main point. He's trying to drive across the main point. Maybe you'll write this down. It's the third of our three reasons why Jesus' ministry is more excellent. The law was only a copy, but Jesus is the OG. He's the original. Now, for those of you who don't know what an OG is, you need to start texting, okay? Jesus the law was only a copy, but Jesus is the old OG. Now I need to remind you something. There was only one seat in the tabernacle. Only one. It was called the mercy seat. And there's only one person that could sit on that seat. God. There was no other seats in the tabernacle. Because no priest was allowed to sit There were no other chairs in the tabernacle. The only chair was an empty chair reserved for God. No one else could sit on that mercy seat. If you tried to sit on that mercy seat, let me tell you what happened. You would go into the the Holy of Holies, and you had little bells, ding-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling, ding-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling, and as you walk, ding-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling, ding-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling. If you tried to jump up on the mercy seat, ooh, I'm just going to check it out. (laughs) No more ding-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling. Okay, And you had a little rope attached to your foot. And they would pull you out. And as they were pulling out, your ling-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling was going... (laughs) As they were dragging you out dead. No one sat in the tabernacle. There was no seat but the seat for God. Take a look. Verse 8. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens. That's a big deal. Because no priest was allowed to sit. But our great high priest, he's the original. So when he was on the cross and he said, it is finished, now he can sit and rest. Because the work is done. He sits at the right hand of God. And here's why. Verse 3. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifice. Therefore, it's necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law. And what he's saying is, Jesus offered his life. And because he offered his life, he now sits at the right hand of God. He doesn't do what the law requires. He fulfilled the law. And now he sits at the right hand of God because the work is finished. Only one seat in the tabernacle. And Jesus alone sits on it. Chapter 8, verse 5. Who served the copy and shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Stop there if you would. There's one seat and there is one true tabernacle. Now remember, the law was only a copy. Jesus is the OG. You see, God made this tabernacle in the heavens. Look back with me to Hebrews chapter 8 verse 2, which the Lord erected. God built the tabernacle. And after he built the tabernacle in heaven, in eternity past, he gave a pattern of it to Moses and Moses copied it on earth. Now, I used to make Legos. Do you guys remember Legos? I love Legos. And I used to make Lego cars. But when I turned 16, I did not have time for Legos. You know why? 
I was driving my 65 convertible Mustang down the road. I did not need to make a little model of it because I'm in it, dude. I'm like, yeah, I got the convertible down. It is fire engine red, and I'm pulling up into school as a junior in high school with my surfboard in my back. No Lego here, brother. The real deal. Let the men say amen. Amen. Let me tell you something. What do you want to do with a model when you can have the real deal? I mean, I can do a Lego 1965 convertible Mustang, but I would rather have a real one in my garage. I'd rather take my blonde Christian babe out on a date in my Lego. No! Can you just see us going down the sidewalk? Come on, Andre. I'm just going to push the Lego down. No, I want to be going down Patton Avenue in San Pedro with Andres sitting there. I'm in the real deal, man. Why would you choose to go back to the model when you got the real deal? There's one true God, one true tabernacle, and one true way. Let me tell you why this is important. Because other religions have tried to copy the love and the joy and the peace that only God can offer. And the religions that have copied are simply copies. They're counterfeits. Jesus alone is the only way. He alone sits on the one seat that was available for God to sit on in the one tabernacle that was a copy of the tabernacle of the one true God that's in heaven. The law is a copy. Jesus is the OG. Now, can you begin to see he's obtained a more excellent ministry, verse 6? Inasmuch as he is also a mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. We see the more excellent ministry. We see three things about Jesus that he's our great high priest. Next week, we're going to discover the better covenant with better promises. And what the writer is going to do, he's going to pull out Jeremiah. And he's going to listen, <laughs> you guys like Jeremiah. Let me throw you a Jeremiah on you to prove to you that in the Old Testament, God was promised a new covenant. But I want you to hear something today. Is Jesus your great high priest? Do you really think he's better than anything the world could offer you. You have to answer that. Because what we're going to learn next week is that God has poured out his spirit into your heart. Is he your savior? Because as a measure of review... If you really believe that Jesus is more powerful, then you can have victory over that sin that has plagued you for years. All you have to do is go to your great high priest. The law is weak. The law is weak. You know you're not supposed to do it. You know you're not supposed to do it. You know you are supposed to do it. But if you really believe that Jesus is your great high priest, you'll go to him and ask him for the power of the Holy Spirit to help you Break that sin. The law is temporary, but Jesus is eternal. Let me ask you a question. What does your faith look like? If you really believe that Jesus is your high priest, does your faith look like a heart monitor? Doing good, not so good. Doing good, not so good. Doing good, not so good. Does your... Faith look like an EKG read. It's like, eh? <laughs> I mean, just imagine. What does your faith look like? Because if you believe that Jesus is your great high priest and you believe that Jesus is eternal, then would you live today like you were going to live eternally with him in heaven? 
That thought should so radically change our minds and our mindset and our lifestyles. Are we living like citizens today of the eternity we'll live in tomorrow? If we really believed he's our eternal high priest. Finally, I'll leave you with this. Do you really believe that he's our high priest? That the law is only a copy. But Jesus is the OG. Let me describe what that means practically. Is your faith boiled down down to, I can do this, I can't do this? Then you're still living in the old covenant. You see, if you're obeying to live, that's old covenant. But if you're living to obey, that's new covenant. You see, the copy in the church today, it looks like morality. The copy in the church today, oh, it looks like a form of legalism of this is what you can be and this is what you can't be and this is what you should look like, this is what you should wear, this is what you shouldn't wear, and oh, Pastor Chet, put the suit back on, then you'll really be a pastor. (laughs) That's just a copy. It looks great, but there's nothing happening inside. Jesus is the OG. He's the original. He's always intended to transform the heart. Those are questions you have to answer. Our Father, I come before you in Jesus' name so grateful for this faithful Thursday night crew. And asking now by the power of your spirit that you would use this word in our lives to change our perspectives because you, really, you are our great high priest. You have a more excellent ministry. You're powerful. We can ask for the spirit. Lord, you are able to help us conquer that sin. You're eternal. So help us live today what we'll be living for eternity. Lord, you're the original. You want to transform our hearts. Protect us from a legalistic copycat where our whole faith is based on what we can do and can't do instead of a relationship. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.